Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, we're following up on our story about clean water technology from a few weeks ago. This time, we're focusing on proposed new federal EPA regulations that are designed to protect us from the harmful effects of extremely toxic substances. These forever chemicals, perfluorooctanoic acid, known as PFOA, and perfluorooctane sulfonic acid, PFAS, are members of a chemical group called per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS. Now, if all that sounds pretty complicated, well, it is. And so is what you'd have to do to treat drinking water that gets contaminated with it, which is why we wanted to talk to Akron Water Supply Bureau Manager Jeff Bronowski again this week. When we last spoke, he explained how they protect water from what we might commonly think of as the regular kind of contaminants, like germs and oil and paint, stuff like that. But these forever chemicals are a whole different deal, requiring a whole new kind of detection, testing, and treatment, which is why the EPA is proposing these new regulations. So these are just proposals, and they're out for comment at this point. It's a 60-day comment period, and they're expected to be finalized by the end of 2023. So this is really a fast-track type situation. Typically, they don't go in in as quickly and have such a short time review, but this is something that I think is definitely fast-tracked for good reason in many cases. We're looking at a 60-day comment period with the end of 23 being the expected implementation of this rule. When they do go into effect, is this going to mean that we have to do something differently with our water filtration here in Akron? We don't expect that. There has been sampling done in the past. The sampling for PFOS and PFOA began as far back as like 2013 to 2015, where it was part of a unregulated contaminant monitoring rule, where very often US EPA puts out these unregulated contaminant monitoring requirements on utilities like Akron that says, hey, we're doing a fact-finding mission to determine if these certain contaminants exist in water systems across the country. Akron was part of that. They tested for PFOA, PFOS, and other different types of PFOS and didn't identify any in Akron's water. And then most recently, um, in 2000, the Ohio EPA did a similar fact-finding mission across the state uh, when, you know, uh, technology and analyzing abilities were were able to identify even at a lower level. Um, and that low level now is this four part per trillion level. And once again, Akron did not identify any of this PFOS within our water um, during the 2000s. So we don't expect to find any PFOS in our water We also have done a lot of work on the watershed side. We spoke recently um, with regards to the train derailment and a lot of things Akron Water does to kind of preventatively maintain our raw water. And one of those is, you know, owning thousands of acres of property in the watershed 
and all the efforts we do for watershed protection. And we've done a large amount of work trying to identify any manufacturing that would exist over this 200 square mile area and have not found a single producer, manufacturer of any sort that is utilizing PFAS in its process. So that's a good thing for Akron. We think the the risk of PFO and PFAS in the raw water, this is even before treatment, is very low because of the fact that it's quite rural. The thousands of acres that Akron has owned for 100 plus years has starved a lot of the development. So it's lowered the risk that that contaminant would be in the raw water supply. So we're feeling really good that we're not going to experience any issues with the PFOA PFOS as a lot of the monitoring requirements will go into effect likely in 24, where it will now be a consistent testing on a quarterly basis where utilities across the country are going to have to test their tap water. And at that point, if indeed this were to show up in any utilities water, there would then be a process to implement the correct treatment in order to uh, avoid it compromising the drinking. Can you define for people who may be listening to this what PFOA and PFOS means, what kind of chemicals those are? I'm anticipating that they're pretty bad, but they've got an acronym. What does that mean? Yeah, so PFOA and PFOS are ultimately a contaminant that have been found in raw water supplies and drinking water supplies across the country in a handful of cases. The limits on these that are proposed are in the parts per trillion, which is extremely, extremely low, which emphasizes the fact of just how dangerous they are. It's been used as a chemical for a lot of like nonstick cookware, for fast food wrappers, for waterproof coatings, for stain-resistant clothing, stain-resistant carpets, stain-resistant furniture coverings and such. So that's been a common chemical used for many years that only until recently have they found that it's unsafe. There's a lot of issues that it can cause. It's carcinogenic. It can cause liver issues. It causes issues with the nervous system. So there's a lot of different health effects that this chemical can have if it consumed at a level above the proposed four part per trillion level that just came out from the federal government. So it's, it's very concerning. And there's a lot of communities out there that are going to have to make major investments in order to keep this out of their water supply. But once again, Akron's pretty confident that we're doing really well with regards to not having any PFO or PFOS in our drinking water. Chemicals that fall under this moniker, people call them forever chemicals. I heard that the city of Dayton, for example, they're suing the federal government right now over chemicals that have leached into the water from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. They're chemicals that are pretty dangerous and they're not able to be treated by their current water system. Are those the kinds of chemicals that we're talking about? Yeah, those are the chemicals we're talking about. In the case of Dayton, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, as you stated, is believed to be the source of where they ultimately began. And they use it for de-icing, for example, we've heard. So, you know, maybe it's the airplanes on the base there. It's been used for firefighting, foam in firefighting. So, you know, if there was any issue at the airport with regards to that, 
all of those ultimately over decades and decades of using this entered into a stormwater system that drained into the waterways of the Dayton area that now have found to compromise the Dayton drinking water system. So yeah, they're one of the communities in the state of Ohio that is looking to make major investments in their treatment process to ensure that this isn't in their drinking water. Is this similar or the same as the ones that spilled in East Palestine or are those different? Yeah, those are different. The East Palestine chemicals are more of a volatile organic carbon per se, which isn't necessarily the same as PFAS. There's different health advisory levels associated with those. In some cases, the treatment processes that are used to remove those VOCs that happened in Palestine compared to PFAS and PFOA are similar. But once again, they are contaminants. They are overarching concerns for communities. And so knowing the best available technologies that are out there to ultimately remove these is what's most important. And, you know, quite frankly, there's there's a lot of work going on on the research side to try and identify those treatment technologies that are best for removing the PFOA and PFOS. So in some cases, it's a granular activated carbon, ion exchange, reverse osmosis. These are very elaborate and intensive uh, treatment processes, as well as like a powder activated carbon has been found to be successful as well. In Akron, we do have a wonderful powder activated carbon treatment. It was almost a $6 million project and it absorbs a number of these contaminants and has been found to be effective to some degree to the PFOA and PFOS. So having that tool available to us is extremely valuable. We feed a maintenance dose on a regular basis just to optimize our treatment process and get a level of treatment well beyond what the regulations require. But if indeed there was ever a spill such as that in East Palestine or such as an issue, if, if anything were ever to arise with PFOA and PFOS, we have the ability to instantly ramp up treatment to try and remove and absorb any of these contaminants. Yeah, that was interesting to me because one of the updates from the Ohio EPA indicated that based on the kind of treatment technology they have now, what they can see so far in the water, they're assuring people that it's not contaminated to the point where it would impact their health in a negative way. But they also added that they're trying to identify exactly what kinds of tests they need and where in the country that they would even do those kind of tests. So it seems like based on what we know now, they kind of have it handled, but there is a certain amount of uncertainty as to all that stuff that spilled, whether they even have the right technology right now. It seems like it's a little right. a little murky at, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting in our world of drinking water treatment and the health effects of certain chemicals. There are certain chemicals that acutely can cause an issue where a single dose of these chemicals can cause you instant health effects. But there's other contaminants that are more chronic, more long-term. They're long-term effects of consuming the water 
can ultimately cause health effects. And we have a number of different rules we follow, with some of them being acute rules and some of them being chronic rules. In the case of PFO and PFOS, this rule will be a more of a chronic rule, meaning that utilities will be required as proposed in the current document, and once again, under 60-day review right now, but it is going to be a quarterly test that we take of our tap water at the point in which it enters into the distribution system, and you run four quarters of that test to come up with an annual running average, and that annual running average then is used for compliance. It's not a single test. That's the case for a number of different contaminants that we have, most especially like disinfection byproducts and such, where they're based on averages over a period of time rather than a single sample, because it's not the single sample or that single event that causes the health effects. It's the long-term chronic exposure to certain contaminants. I got it. So when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that one of the reasons why we're pretty safe, at least as safe as you can be these days in in Akron, is because we have these wetlands that are in Geauga County, and there aren't a lot of, or really any, railroads that go near our wetlands. So that was cool. But then in the interim, I kind of looked at some rail maps, and I found out that there's a railroad spur that's like right behind where you're sitting there in Portage County at the uh, water plant. So is that of concern? or? Yeah, so there are two railroad spurs that are adjacent to the water plant. Both of those railroad spurs are downstream of Lake Rockwell Reservoir. So if there were to be some type of train derailment of any sort, it wouldn't necessarily compromise the raw water supply. Now, God forbid that would happen right there adjacent to the water plant. And now when you talk about evacuation and you talk about staff and such, yes, that's definitely a concern. It's something that's in our emergency management plan. Those railroad lines for many years has been just a source of risk that we've always paid attention to. And so looking at a lot of different technologies we have available, not necessarily on the treatment side, because it is still several hundred feet away from any of the treatment processes, but from the, can we operate the plant remotely if indeed there was to be some type of you know emergency response, some type of evacuation where we can't have staff anywhere near these railroad tracks because of a derailment and such. We have things like that with regards to other natural disasters, such as a tornado of some sort or massive weather events. We have the ability to run the plant from remote locations, which takes an extensive amount of effort in order to do so. All of the different automation and control and innovation involved with establishing chemical doses and running pumps and drives and motors all from a remote location, all in a computerized setup is a pretty impressive thing we have going for us. So yes, indeed, there is concern that there could be a train derailment, but we feel that we have the technology available to us to be able to continue to operate our drinking water plant. That sounds excellent. So as we wrap up then, it sounds to me like it's possible that Akron at some point might need to do some further treatment 
of the water. But right now we're kind of at status quo. And even if you had to start doing extra testing, it wouldn't start till what early next year. Yeah, it would be 2024 when we would then be required to take quarterly tests for PFOA and PFOS. And quite frankly, I mean, obviously we considered running additional testing on our own, but there are just a lot of complications right now for utilities like us that want to pursue additional PFOA and PFOS testing. There are very few labs available to actually do that work. And there's a lot of discussion as to exactly what the correct quality control processes will be in taking those tests. Because one of the biggest issues that we've experienced in the past, just working with those testers in which the EPA has brought out, is that even individuals, the lab samplers themselves in the gloves and the bottles and the clothing and the things even you know with masks and such that they're wearing, if there are any PFOA or PFOS in any of that, that equipment that they're using to take these samples, it can give you false positive readings. So it's almost impossible for us to do these tests internally with our internal lab and it's going to take these external labs that have all of the right equipment, sampling bottles and procedures so that you do not inadvertently get false positives on this. So it's part of this review process is going to be, if you follow the comment period, you will for certain see discussions about the quality control and procedures used to grab these samples. So. But yeah, absolutely. When the rule does go into effect, we're going to have more data. And the more information we have, the smarter we'll be to ensure that you know our customers remain safe. That's really interesting about the clothing and stuff, because as you were talking about what kinds of things these chemicals are in, I'm thinking like if you were to go out and do testing, let's say, and it was raining outside uh, or it started raining and, and you were wearing a rain slicker that had this kind of coating on it. And then you touch your coat and then you touch the beaker that you were putting the water in, then that could be an issue. But I was also thinking about these forever chemicals. And when you were going down the list, I was thinking how many of them are in my house? I mean, they're on my rug. They're in the pan I cook my food with. They're probably in the baggies that I put my food in. They're probably in the water bottle that I drink out of. So in terms of safety for people, Obviously, what you're concerned about is if we drink it and ingest it. As far as you know, as the safety, it's like if it's on the outside of my body and I'm not drinking it, am I okay? Yeah, I wish I knew more about that. And I don't know. I would imagine, most especially with some of the newer. So I I know, for example, that the companies that utilize this PFO and PFOS in the past have changed the formula, for lack of a better word, and now have gone to what they call this Generation X, which is a a component of the PFOS and PFOA, but not as quote-unquote dangerous. But I hear that they're phasing the Generation X chemical out for something else here coming soon because there's been a lot of concern and scrutiny of the Gen X chemicals. So I wish I could speak better on that, more intelligently on that, but I honestly don't know the answer. I think as 
time goes by, there's going to be more and more research on this topic. And, you know, it, it reminds me of almost like the lead-based paint and lead in drinking water scenario where it was very common to know that lead-based paint was an issue in the 70s and the 80s and the leaded gas was an issue. And it was only until the 90s did lead in drinking water start to become regulated. So I feel as if time will tell as to when or how much of this chemical we can handle and what's appropriate or not on these common items that we use each and every day. That was City of Akron Water Supply Bureau Manager Jeff Bernowski. If you'd like to find out more about how the City of Akron protects our water supply, listen to the March 3rd edition of this program. You can find it on wakr.net or as a podcast on your mobile device. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.